offering today. If you want to grab your Bible, we're going to open up to the book of Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. We're just going to read one verse there. And I don't have a handout this morning, but I'm going to uh, teach from Proverbs and then primarily from the book of Exodus. So if after you get that scripture in Proverbs chapter 16, if you want to um, also mark in Exodus chapter 3, it's where we're going to go and mostly stay there today. But it tells us in Proverbs 16, 1, that the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I want to read this in another version, it's the contemporary English version, the same scripture here. It tells us that we make human plans, but the Lord has the final word. That we have a lot of things that we plan on, but the ultimate uh, end of, of all of this is that God has the final say and that he has the final word. And that's what I want to just teach on here this morning is who has the final say? Who is it in our life that has the final say? Last week, we dove into this story of the exodus of, of the children of Israel out of Egypt and we're going to go back there here again this week, and uh, I want to bring us outside of the scriptural text and uh, talk just a little bit about a book that you probably have not heard of. It's called The Book of the Heavenly Cow. It's an interesting title for a book, but this, this particular book, it's a very ancient Egyptian narrative book that's about the destruction of mankind. The text of this book, or some of the text of this book, was found inscribed on the tomb walls of several pharaohs, the pharaohs Seti I and Ramses II, Ramses III. And this book itself, it sets the tone. It was a very uh, important book for the Egyptians. It really sets the tone for the whole Egyptian social system and how it is that, that they see the world, how they view the world and uh, how they view life and our purpose. And, and there is a particular component in this book, this book of the heavenly cow, where the chief god of the Egyptians, they called him Ra, he was the sun god, Ra, and he was faced in this book that they wrote. He was faced with a human rebellion. And the people were standing against his authority and they're not listening to him. And so in response, as noted in Eric Hornung's book, The Legends of the Gods of the Egyptian Texts, and in his translation of this text, this book, the way that Ra responds to the uh, to the uprise of the of the people against him was he said, "I am that I am. I will not let it continue. I am that I am. I will not let this rebellion continue." Now later on in this same book, the book of the heavenly cow, we are introduced to the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was called the incarnation of Ra. 
He is called the I am in flesh. Did you catch that? Maybe this sounds a little bit familiar to you. The, the sun god, Ra, according to the Egyptians, now by implication, Pharaoh himself, he is called the I Am. Now, if you read your Bible, or if you read your Bible, and especially if you've read the book of Exodus, and that sounds familiar to you, it's because it ought to, because those same words that Ra and Pharaoh would say about themselves, they have been lifted from Exodus chapter 3, or so it seems that they would have been lifted from Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to look, take a look there at Exodus chapter 3 for just a second. And as we dive in here, just to give you a little context, in Exodus chapter 3, we are standing here side by side with Moses in the middle of the desert. And he's like a man that's in witness protection here at this point. He is deep undercover and he's made for himself this brand new identity as a Midianite shepherd. At this point in the story, he has thought that he was able to outrun his old identity, which was that of the son of two slaves, but the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. He was raised in the very house of Pharaoh. And here he is now, he's made some mistakes, and so he's ran away from that life, gone into the desert, created this new identity for himself. He's minding his own business, pretending that All of Egypt is behind him. He's never going to go back there. And even as he's trying to keep his distance, it tells us that he sees this bush that is burning and it's not being consumed. Now, he meanders over to this bush. And as he does so, this voice begins to speak to him from out of that bush. And this voice is the voice of God. It knows his name. It calls him by name. And To make this long story short, God directs Moses to go back to the land that he was from, to go back to Egypt and to liberate the people who had been in slavery for over 400 years. Then in verses 13 through 15 in Exodus chapter 3, if you want to get your Bible, we'll open up there. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, it says that Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What is it that I should say to them? And God said unto Moses, he's telling him the name that he should tell Pharaoh that is the one that's sending him. He says, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said, moreover unto Moses, thou shalt say, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Okay, now I just want to do a little recap. Because who is it that 
Moses was supposed to say that sent him to Egypt. What, what name was it that, that Moses was supposed to, to tell in the presence of Pharaoh that was sending him? Who was it? The I am that I am. Okay, does anybody see the problem here that Moses is facing? The dilemma that's before him. This conflict. Here he was. He was raised in the very household of, Mo, of, of Pharaoh. And so he knows that it's not just Pharaoh. It's not just, uh, it's not just the, uh, that name that he would go by or that title, but he knows the names that he would uh, be called, that he is the I am in flesh, that he is the I am that I am, that this is one way that he would identify himself. And now God speaking to Moses would tell him, it is the I am that I am that is sending you. Now, some of you might think perhaps, perhaps the book of the heavenly cow was written at some point after the book of Exodus was written. Now, this may, maybe this isn't even uh, the timeline doesn't fit that this Pharaoh that Moses would be going to speak to was called the I am. Maybe this is just a way that they were trying to save face uh, after the destruction of, or the, the drowning of everyone in the Red Sea. But no, all the evidence points to the fact that the book of the heavenly cow was written long before Exodus, hundreds of years before Exodus was written. And even before these events of Moses uh, here at the burning bush. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, would, would, Mo, or would, would the Pharaoh understand? I mean, Pharaoh didn't speak Hebrew. We, uh, we could uh, surmise that what, what God, uh, how he spoke it, the, the language that, uh, of God's people was, was Hebrew. And so maybe, you know, this doesn't even translate the, the Hebrew name of I am and in the way that the Egyptians would say I am. But again, the word I am in Egyptian and the, the same phrase in Hebrew is pronounced nearly identically. So they, Pharaoh would understand exactly what Moses was saying when he says, I am that I am has sent me here. So the Egyptian story with these words and the root words, the, the words that make up these phrases, they're the same words that God is saying, speaking out of this bush. And you see, when God tells Moses, I am that I am, I, I want to break that down just a little bit for our understanding today to understand what it is what God is really saying here what what is it that that God is trying to communicate to Moses and and uh, what is it that this name really means the I am that I am see in your Bible when you see this word Lord uh, with the capital L capital O capital R capital D it stands for the Hebrew name of God. If you're reading your, your Bible text, especially in the King James, I can't say necessarily that every uh, version does this uh, the same thing. But when you see that, all caps, Lord, uh, this, is, uh, this is the Hebrew name of God, which is Yahweh or, uh, or Jehovah. And Yahweh means to be. Now that is... Uh, us saying in the third person about God who he is. But when God would say this about himself, it is I am. Yahweh equals I am. Now, conceptually, I, I am has a couple of really big ideas that are attached to this meaning of what God is saying when 
he reveals this name that first of all is that God is the self-existent one. That all things that begin to exist, they, they have a cause, but God himself is the ultimate cause. See, when you are the I am, you don't have a beginning. You, you don't have an ending. You don't have a cause. He's an uncaused causer of everything. See, he was the eternal creator of all things. And he didn't need to have any further descriptors. God just is. He has always just existed. He just is God. He is I am. He is self-existent. And because God is self-existent, it also means that he has ultimate authority. He was the creator of all life. He has the ultimate power over all things that were created. But more than just his self-existence and more than just the ultimate authority that he had, the I am and, and even Yahweh, these, these are verbs. It's not just a noun. These are Verbs, they communicate something very specific about God. It means that He is, that He is present right now. He is active. He is involved. He is moving. He is whatever you need in the situation. God is that. And here in this very context, when God is saying this to Moses out of the bush, uh, he, he is telling Moses it means that I am a, a, what I am about to do. Well, I am what my name means. And, and so uh, I am a savior. I am a redeemer. I am the one who is going to set the people free. It's not, it's not you. I'm calling you to, to go and to be my voice. But I am the savior. I am the one. I am able. I'm able to bring my people out of this bondage that they've been in for 400 years into the promised land that I have for them. See, his name is active. It's, it's present. It's, 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 it's there that to be invoked over any problem that we may face. It means that God is about to become involved. God is about to become manifest in his presence and in his creative power. He's a, he's, he is able to speak with that ultimate authority that he has. See, Oh, we do have a problem. We have this, this problem in this story because as God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush, there's this Pharaoh who is presently enslaving Moses' people. And he says about himself that I am the I am as well. And the reality is there can't be two bosses. So we're brought to this conundrum in the story that who is really the I am? Who is really in charge here. And this, this now is, is bigger than Moses. This is bigger than Pharaoh. This is, this is bigger than Moses versus Pharaoh or, or the Hebrews versus the Egyptians. This is a story about who is it that is really in charge. That's what the story is really about. And we face that same question today. That at times of pressure, at times of hardship, when, when anxiety begins to grip our hearts and we're faced with these questions that are posed in the Exodus story about who is in charge, who sits on the throne, we, we're faced with some of those same questions for ourselves. Sometimes, sometimes it can feel like the forces of darkness are winning in our life. 
It could feel like they're, they're winning against your family or they're winning against the church or, or that the forces of darkness are winning against the people that you're trying to help. Sometimes, I mean, you can even forget about the people that you're trying to help, people that you're trying to lead. There's some of us today that uh, in our own personal life, we have, we have questions like, what does my tomorrow look like? Maybe there's somebody young today. It's like, am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to have a family? Am I, even if I do get married, am I going to be able to have a family? Or maybe today you're sitting here and it's like, how am I going to pay the bills? How, how am I going to, how am I just going to get through this next month? Now, if you have kids, how are my kids going to survive elementary school? Or how, how are they going to survive middle school. I mean, this world is crazy. It is. Every time that I, I look around and, and, you know, I'll tell people this world is nuts. And my, my wife was you know, a teacher for 10 years in the high school and, and just, just knowing it's, it's very different from when I was in high school that uh, this world is crazy. And, and I've got, I have a fifth grader that uh, he's, uh, I mean, he'll be in middle school, high school soon. And, and he, he's in that world already. And, you know, how is he going to survive it? And what, so what lies at the heart of all of these issues and all these questions is, is this idea of sovereignty and this idea of, of power. Who is it that sits on the throne? Who is it that's in charge? Who, who, who is, is the one that is able to say, I am the one that is in charge of everything? Is it the God that we sing about? And we open this service singing about the God that, that we lift our hands to and we worship? Or, or is it the drama that seems to be running our life? Go on, is that a, is that a real question? Right? Sometimes we, we have, it's a big question to have that what is it that's really running my life? What is it that's really in charge? And it's, it's the same question that Moses was faced with and Israel was about to face here in this moment. And I want to get back just uh, just quickly about the the historical uh, precedence of, of of this this case with Egypt and with Moses and and Ra being called the I am because the historical people of Israel had always been calling God Yahweh since the beginning of time. This was a name for God. You can see this name for God. It's used throughout the book of Genesis. Before Moses ever steps onto the scene, we see Yahweh spoken many times that God himself is the I am. Since the beginning of creation, since the beginning of time, God was the I am. He is the I am. And what many Egyptologists, that's what they call themselves when they study the Egyptian culture, the ancient Egyptian culture. Um, most of these individuals they're not, are not Christians, they're not Jews, but they would... They would say, uh, most of them, they believe that history points to the fact that Egypt would steal the names of gods that uh, of people that they would enslave or that they would conquer. So when they took the Hebrews into enslavement, they would apply the name to their god and, and they would then apply that name to their pharaohs. And so the book of the heavenly cow... This book was written a couple hundred years before Moses ever arrived on the scene. But remember, Israel had been enslaved for 400 years before Moses arrived on the scene. 
And we know by examining their culture that this is what Egypt did. When they would conquer a nation, they would, uh, they would take the symbols, they would take the gods, they would, they would appropriate them to themselves. And, and this was a way of humiliating the people and, and even saying, you know, that, that whatever powers your God had, now we are taking that for ourselves. They, they were pagan people, so they believed that, you know, all these people did have gods that existed. And so by taking your name to ourselves, we have all your power now. And so this is what they, they would have done in this case. And they felt that if they took God's name and applied it to Ra, applied it to Pharaoh, then they could have some of God's glory for themselves, that they could be the I am. And so Pharaoh, he didn't have a historical right of a claim to this name. This was always the name of God. The I am was always God, Yahweh, the creator of all things. But when, when they enslaved the people of Israel, they took that name onto themselves and became part of their culture. But if you're Israel for a moment, put yourself in their place in this moment of their enslavement. They're being whipped. Their babies are being thread, thrown into the crocodiles in the Nile River. They've been enslaved for four centuries. This, this history lesson about how Pharaoh took the name of their God unto himself, that history lesson isn't really going to help them. That's not what they need at that moment. What they need at that moment is a demonstration of who it really is the I am. They needed to see God on display. And so if we fast forward the story to, to where we were at, we see these the, the throne room doors swing open and, uh, for Pharaoh. And immediately you see this contrast between these two individuals, Moses and Aaron, who step into the throne room of Pharaoh, into the court. And you see them in their, I, what I assume would be their, uh, their, their shepherd garments or their, uh, whatever their, their clothes were they're wearing that day. Very uh, different looking than everyone else in the, in the court of Pharaoh. And they, they step in there into this atmosphere. And these, these two guys begin to speak to Pharaoh and, and they make their presence known. And as they make their way toward Pharaoh, who is at the head of that throne room, he's the one who believes himself to be a God. He's the one who calls himself the I am on earth, raw in flesh. And you can, you can see all these, you know, I can just like picture the sneers on the, on the faces of these individuals. You know, who are these fools that have come in here? Now they, they know Moses. Moses grew up with the Pharaoh. But what is he doing here? Now, if you picture Pharaoh sitting there on his throne room, he, he had on his head a crown. And you can, if you think back to any pictures you, you might have seen of Pharaoh's there, his crown wasn't like a, a typical crown that you would think of, more like a big tall hat. And on that, it had front and center this very large snake. And this snake, uh, it was, uh, it was this, massive golden snake and and the serpent itself was this symbol of Pharaoh's power. It was the symbol of his deification that Moses or that that Pharaoh was uh, who he believed he was as a god and that he received the wisdom from the snake and by some supernatural power he became he received all this wisdom from Ra and and it would give him the mind of Ra as long as he had this this crown on. And so Moses you can imagine him just after, you know, he's a stuttering mess. So I told God, I can't, I can't do this. 
stutters a little bit, but eventually relays this message to Pharaoh. And this message is essentially, he's saying, let my people go. And so Pharaoh asked the question that Moses would have assumed he asked, which is, who, who's, who's telling you to let your people go? So Moses responds, the I am. Yahweh says so. And Pharaoh's like, oh, oh, he did, did he? So how about you show me a miracle? Let's, let's see what this God, your, the I am. I want to see a demonstration from him. And you can kind of sense the sarcasm in in Pharaoh's voice as he's he's telling him him this. And so in Exodus 7 verse 10, it tells us that Moses and Aaron, they went in unto Pharaoh and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron, he cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and his rod became a serpent. So the crowd at this point, you can imagine they just jump back as they should because there's snakes there. And, it, and it's just the smart thing to do. You see a snake? I'm not approaching that thing. Uh, don't play with snakes. When Moses and Aaron, when they throw down their rod, or when, when Aaron throws down his rod onto the ground, this is a direct challenge to the Egyptian magic of that day. Well, let's, let's continue on to the next two verses. Verse 11 says that Pharaoh, he called the wise men and their sorcerers and now the magicians of Egypt. And they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents. Now, I don't, I don't know how many magicians there were. I don't know how many snakes there were. But Pharaoh, he's like, no big deal. I see you turn your rod into a serpent. I've got some guys here that they can do the same thing. And I don't know how this happened. I don't know exactly what kind of magic they did, but they, they had some kind of power or some kind of something that they were seemingly able to recreate exactly what God was able to do with the rod of Moses or rod of Aaron. But then something really wild happens. You can already see it here. The end of that verse, it says that Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. I don't know, has, has anybody here ever gone down like the rabbit trails of like YouTube videos? Like you get, you know, it's like, I, I've gone down like these rabbit trails of like uh, animal fights. Anybody else been down that? I see a couple people like raising their hand, shaking their hand, yeah. Um, anybody ever seen a snake fight before? Like, okay, yeah, Brother Miller, okay. Uh, it's kind of like an awkward thing to watch because it's not like a snake against uh I've seen a snake against a lion or a snake against some other, like a honey badger. I've seen those before. But like a snake and a snake, it's not, you don't hear all the growling and the his, or growling and the, you know, all this roaring, all this. It's, it's just like silent fighting. And they're just like trying to bite each other. And, and you can just imagine that here, all these snakes just like trying to bite each other. And, and then all of a sudden, this one snake, this one of Aaron's that uh, was his rod, it, it all of a sudden just consumes it. It, it eats all of these other snakes. They're just like, they're waiting and all these attacks are coming and, and it just begins to, to eat up all of these other snakes. And, and now the Egyptians, they took a lot of pride in being able to tame venomous creatures. Snakes in particular. But this day, the real I am was able to rob them of their identity and their glory by humiliating them in the defeat of the very thing that they thought they were so good at doing. 
This is the very first shot across the bow of Pharaoh's sovereignty. There's, there's going to be many more. We're not going to get to, to all these different ways that, that God humiliates uh, Pharaoh today. But, but this is the very first one. It's a, it's a taunt. It's a taunt at the, at the um, power, the sovereignty of Pharaoh, of him being able to call himself and identify himself as the I am. So in essence, in essence, Pharaoh is, is now you can talk all you want, but the power is not in your fancy hat, Pharaoh. Your power is not in all these weird guys that are sitting here and they can cast down their, their sticks and they can become serpents. Now, the real power is in the real I am, which is God Almighty, who he created heaven and the earth, and his glory cannot be stolen. It will not be stolen. See, not only, not only can God do what you claim, what you claim to be able to do, but when you try to do it, God is going to destroy whatever it is that you try to to do on to to manipulate him and so in this first miracle of of moses coming into the throne room of pharaoh we see these uh this this very sovereignty of of pharaoh being challenged and and we'll see this continue to happen as you look down the plagues uh look through the 10 plagues that will follow this and and it's every single one of them is a challenge to every false god of the Egyptians. Those 10 plagues are challenges to the false gods of the Egyptians and the people who would dare to make a claim against Yahweh in the future. But my mind does, does wonder, you know, why is it that, why is it that God was so insistent here about do, setting his people free in this manner? I don't know, have you ever wondered, you know, why didn't God, or why, why did God have to go through all of the plagues, all the 10 plagues, why did he have to go through all of this stuff in order to get his people out of Egypt? Why couldn't he have, he had, why couldn't he have just skipped to like number 10 where the death angel comes in and Pharaoh's like, get out of here, leave? Why was it that God delayed this or seemingly delayed it by having all of these plagues? Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. Because we have an answer to that in Exodus chapter 4. Verse 1, read 1 through 5. Moses answered and he said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said to him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the, on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground, it became a serpent. And Moses fled before it. And the Lord said to Moses, put forth thine hand, take it by the tail, which is a great place to grab a venomous snake. Not, I mean, don't real, don't do that if you, that's the worst place to grab a venomous. He told him, take it by the tail and he put forth his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. And then God continues on. He says that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared unto thee. Did you catch that? This wasn't a sign for Egypt. This was a sign for Israel. 
the Lord God of their fathers. The there is, is Israel. It's the Hebrews. The reason that God was doing what he was doing was because he was wanting to show Israel, I am the real I am. I am the real God. I am the real sovereign one. And the reason why God was taking his time to dismantle the Egyptians piece by piece in the presence of his people was so that they could understand that whoever was the real I am was the one who was able to lay claim and ownership of their future. It's not Ra. It's not Pharaoh. Now, they've been slaves of Pharaoh for 400 years, but they are the sons and the daughters of God. And he may call himself the I am, but it's the real I am that is the one who has claim over their future. And so as Aaron's rod gobbles up these, the last of the Egyptian snakes, this answer becomes clear about who the real I am is. And Pharaoh, he realizes I'm not in charge anymore. The Lord of heaven, the, uh, he kind of realizes this. He's going to keep on fluctuating back and forth. But but the real I am just destroyed my authority and my power and my wisdom bit by bit. And he sees this take place. And this is a foreshadowing of what is about to come in this saga. That there's going to be a contest between the gods of Egypt and the God Almighty. And God Almighty, the I am that I am, is going to humiliate every single one of Egypt's gods. And he's doing this not for the Egyptians, although it's going to get their attention. But he's doing it for Israel, who's been enslaved for 400 years, and looked to the gods of the Egyptians and said, if they have us enslaved, then they must be in charge. If they have us enslaved, then they must have the final say over my life. The I am, Pharaoh, he must really be powerful. And God's wants, God wants to get their attention and say, no, I am the I am. I am the one. It's not them. And you're going to come out of your slavery, but I don't want you to walk out of Egypt still with the same mindset that the all, the all powerful one was back there in Egypt. You need to come out realizing that I am greater than anything in your past. I am greater than any, any Pharaoh who told you that he had the final say. I'm the one. See, in the one, when we look at the story, we, we, we point to ourselves. And we see ourselves riddled with anxiety or, you know, times of, of being overwhelmed with this certain sense of dread that, that kind of washes over us at, at times in our life. And, and, and we're here today and, and this same question that the Israelites were facing about who is in charge is the same question that we need to face today. Who is the real I am? Who is it that gets to determine my destiny? Who is it that has the final say over my life? Right? Who is it that has the final say over my ministry? Who is it that has the final say over my family? Who gets to sit on the throne of my life? Is it the diagnosis that I received at the doctor's office? Is it worry? Is it, is it the worst case scenario that I can always think up? Or is it God? See, I just happen to believe that if a lot of us are honest, 
There's a lot of days where we are, where you're haunted by worry. And it could be your family. It could be your health. It could be the health of a loved one. Maybe it's your job security. Maybe it's your finances. You know, things are just so tight that, that you're worried about providing for your family or for yourself. You don't, you know, don't even know if you're going to have the basic necessities of what it takes to get through life. And, and maybe you're facing some really big decisions and there's opposition coming against you of what you feel is the right decision and God leading you that way. And, and you're saying, you know, I don't know what to do. And, and you feel all, all anxious and, and all of this anxiety is here and this sense of dread. And, and it's as if, the sickness and all of these things are the I am of your life. As if your boss at work is, is the I am, or if money is the I am, or, or the worst results that you can think of are the I am, and, you know, or, or your relationship status is if that's the I am, as if that, that doctor's result is the I am. But it's, or, or even as if, as if I, or as if, as if you have the final say over anything at all. See, no matter who lays claim to your future, there is only one I am. No matter what is coming against your life this morning and, and, and whatever is coming against your ministry, whatever is coming against your family, there is only one who gets to have the final say over you. And that I am is not disease, that I am is not cancer, that I am is not the power structures of this world, and we can get so wrapped up in all of that and politics and looking around at the world and the evil, evil and the darkness in this world and say, they have all the power, they have all the authority, but no, Jesus, in fact, he said in John eight fifty eight, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Only Jesus has the final say. Only God gets to speak the last word over anything in your life. Only His power is the final power. See, what God is looking for, for from you today is just a little bit of faith. Like Israel, God has, has heard your cry and He's, he's heard your worry and He's heard your, your, your he's seen every step that, that you've taken and, and all God is looking for is just a little bit of faith and saying, God, you have the final say. God, you have the final say in my life. Well, that's what God is looking for in our life today. That is not Pharaoh. It's not the things of this world that have the final say over you. See, Pharaoh, he was to be dismantled one time after another. Throughout this, this release of the, the, the people from Egypt, we see one thing after another that would confirm that there is only one I am. And I want you to know today, and we're wrapping up right now. I'm ready over time. That there is only one I am in your life. And he is the one who has the final say. And we can, we can conjure up all these other ideas about what it is that has control over your life. But there is only one who ultimately has control. And that is God. And he's looking to you today to have a little bit of faith and to step up today and say, in fact, could we just stand in this place? I, I know it's our Sunday school hour. It's our, our Bible study, adult Bible study this morning, but just stand up. And I just want to lift up our hands here this morning. And if there's anybody here today who maybe has, has been struggling uh, with this, uh, who has the authority? Who is it that has sovereignty in my life? 
Come on, if you could just uh, have a little bit of faith this morning and put it on display as you speak out to God and say, Lord, all the situations in my life that that I feel that that everything is out of control, God, I, I declare right now, God, that I will no longer worry. God, that I will no longer fret. God, that I will no longer question that about you being sovereign, about you, Lord, being in control. Lord, I submit myself to you. Lord, I believe that you are who you say you are. Come on, is there somebody right now who, who truly believes that? There's somebody right now who can just call out to Jesus.